We want to talk some more about faith today, about the fire of God, and uh, really excited about what God is putting on my heart. Uh, I'm enjoying the time I'm having with the Lord with it, and I just want to share it with you so that you guys can get the full maximum benefit of it for your own selves. And uh, last week, I started talking to you about the fire of God, you know, and how it's associated with faith, and how... The fire of God, and by that I mean, you know, that powerful experience of his presence in our lives. And many times it comes when we're gathered together in a group like this or in a home group, some uh, collection of, of believers. And other times it comes, uh, you know, even on your own in solitude where the Lord comes and you, you sense his presence and his heat, his warmth, his power in an unmistakable way. And uh, you know, as, as you know it when you've experienced fire, when you're standing in front of the fireplace and you're feeling the heat, you know that. And you know it when you're experiencing the fire of God. And um, God uses this fire image in the Bible to describe himself a couple of times once he came down from heaven as fire and, as, and consumed the prophets of Baal. You remember that? And then uh, other times he describes himself as a consuming fire. So it's very reasonable for us as as Bible-believing Christians, to think that there is a fire of God to be experienced. And I was talking last week about how, you know, remember when you're in grade school and you learned the fire triangle, you know, it's, uh, it's fuel and it's oxygen and it's heat, and when these three things come together in sufficient quantities and relationship, then you have fire. It's bam. And this chain reaction, this self-perpetuating thing, then occurs until one of them is gone, usually the fuel in most cases, because that's what gets used up in that, in that respect. But... Uh, at some point, all you have to do is remove one of those aspects from the fire triangle, and the fire goes out. And my suggestion to you was it's the same way in experiencing the fire of God, that, that there are three realities, three kinds of faith, that when they come together, you will experience the fire of God. I mean, I, I want to say, as much as it depends on me to say it, I guaranteed that you will experience the fire of God. And those three kinds of faith, I don't know what I'm doing here, Greg. I'm making it hard for you, I know, but sorry. It must be... Uh... Just talk amongst yourselves for a second. You'll be all right. There we go. There we go. Good. Uh, th- there are three, uh, three kinds of faith that when they come together, uh, they don't generate the fire of God, but God is pleased to visit that. Because the fire of God is generated by God himself. But the three kinds of faith are saving faith, power faith, and abiding faith. And we talked about saving faith last week, that that's that kind of faith that when we release it, we are saved, we are born again. It's that aspect of trusting Jesus and his finished work on the cross, and personally trusting, and a personal expression of that. And then we're saved. And this is the very foundation of experiencing the fire of God. One must be born again, Jesus said, in order to see the kingdom of God, see the fire of God, experience the fire of God. You know, we've been seeing people come to Jesus here recently. Two people came this week between services. Is it okay if they come to Jesus in between Sundays? Is it okay that that Susan and Jim came to Jesus, the Savior and Lord of their life, in between Sundays? We can count those, right? And so just be praying and rejoicing in that. God's just continuing to do good things. I think we're up around 29 or something like that right now on our way to 70 new believers. And so God's doing that. And that's an expression of their saving faith, a personal release of trusting 
in Jesus. And as I was explaining it to this man named Jim yesterday, it's kind of like you got to let him do it. you got to let him do it all. And it's kind of like going into surgery. And, and when you're going into surgery, you look at the surgeon and go, I'm trusting you to do it all. I'm not going to help. I'm not going to try and help. I'm expecting for you to be able to complete what you say you can do, and I am completely surrendering to it, and I expect to wake up on the other side of this thing well. Isn't that the thing? And that's how it is with Jesus, and that's what saving faith is. is It's completely trusting Jesus to do what you cannot do for yourself. And expecting them to wake up on the other side, on the, on the right side of the formula, right side of the equation, right? Yes? Say yes, I'll start all over again. That's saving faith. That's saving faith when we make that personal expression. Second part of this equation for the fire of God is this thing called power faith. Power faith. It's the release of faith on our part where we see the power of God move. Where we see God do something. Where we see God respond in a way that he obviously wanted to respond but was waiting for us to do something in order to do it. Power faith. Turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 17 and we'll look at one of these audacious statements that Jesus made that's had everybody scratching their heads ever since he said it. And I don't presume to say I'm going to be able to figure it all out for you today, but we'll... We'll jumble it up again for you today anyway, okay? Matthew chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We'll, we'll be reading this and putting a piece of it up there, right there. That's the part I want, probably going to focus on. So uh, here we are in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and uh, the context of this passage is that the disciples were, were, were unable to do something that Jesus had commissioned them to do. I don't know if you can relate. <laughs> but Jesus had told them, I want you to go out and I want you to heal the sick and I want you to drive out demons. And this guy came and they said, hey. Well, you'll see here in a second. But they had, they had failed to do what Jesus commissioned them to do. Can anybody relate? Or just Matt and me? Okay, yeah. You know, you want to, you try to, and it doesn't work. And so you're like, what went wrong? And that's the context of this passage. Verse 14, Matthew 17, 14. When they came to a crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water. You know, this, this, young, this child was having big problems. And not everybody who has seizures is demonized. Not everybody who has seizures is demonized, but Jesus clearly knows the difference, right? Some people who have seizures are demonized. Some people who have addictions are demonized. Not everybody who has addiction is demonized. Some of it's a psychological thing that needs to be dealt with that way. But some people are demonized, and they won't get free from it until they're set free from the demons. So just think about it that way, that, that not everybody who has seizures is demonized, but this child was. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Don't you kind of want to go, duh? <laughs> they couldn't do it. Something went wrong. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. That's what you want to hear right there, huh? That's what you want to hear. You want to hear Jesus say, bring the boy to me. Because you know that's going to have a very good outcome. Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. That's a good day. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, how come we couldn't do that? 
Why couldn't we drive it out? That's a fair question. We might have asked the same. And he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, he said. If you have faith as small as mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's audacious, isn't it? What is Jesus doing messing with us this way? I tell you, first he says, I tell you the truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you in some of the translations, I tell you the truth. You see the difference between Jesus and the prophets? What did the prophets used to say? Thus saith the Lord. How many times did you read that in the Old Testament? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Jesus never said, thus saith the Lord. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Because he is the Lord. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't the son of a prophet. He's the Lord. And he said, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed... Now, that's very small. I think probably we've heard this kind of thing discussed enough that this was one of the tiniest seeds in nature, this mustard seed. He didn't say if you have faith as small as a squash seed. Some of you have planted gardens. You know what I'm talking about? Pumpkin seed, a mustard seed. (laughs) He said if you have only that much faith, well, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. What is Jesus doing? talking like this. Does he really want us to change the landscape? In another similar case, he said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be thrown into the sea and it'll go. Does he really want us to... That would be a helpful thing if you were a landscaper, right? You over here. Is that what he's talking about? Karen and I were laughing this week about John 11. We were sitting in the living room. And I love this passage in John 11. You know, when, when Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, you know, Jesus is always talking like he's a rabbi. And so he's speaking in these terms that are symbolic or artistic at least. And every time he tries to be artistic, nobody gets it. Because of his disciples. Remember his disciples? They weren't the cream of the crop, right? They were the fishermen and tax collectors. And so John 11, you know, they come and they tell Jesus. They say, hey, Lazarus, he's sick. you got to come. And the disciples ask him, where are you going or not? He goes, no. He said, uh, Lazarus, is, he's fallen asleep. And the disciples say, oh, well, that's good. Because if he falls asleep, he'll get better. And then the next verse said, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and and, it, and it, don't you just feel his pain? Like, can I just say he's fallen asleep and be a little bit mystical here? I don't know. It was funny to us on one day this week. But he says, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And it's not the detail of what you can do. It's the reality that nothing will be impossible for you. That Jesus is making some kind of a promise that nothing would be impossible for us. I love this, that Jesus had this compassion on this boy. I mean, the first thing he did, it was a teaching moment for his disciples, but the first thing he said was, bring the boy to me, first things first, right? Jesus has so much love and compassion and readiness and willingness to move in this boy's life. Somebody asked me recently, do you think it's always God's will to heal? That's a fair question, isn't it? How many of you, like me, have prayed for somebody and they got well? Me too. How many of you, like me, have prayed for somebody and they didn't get well? 
Yeah. Is it always God's will to heal? And my answer is absolutely yes. If you understand what the word healing means. Is it always God's will to do what you're thinking? No. Is it always God's will to create the picture in your mind for the person in front of you? No. But it is always God's will to do good. Always God's will to do good. So what is our role then? Well, he said if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, so it's not about size, apparently. You only need a tiny little bit of faith in order to see God move powerfully. Isn't that what he's saying? I mean, he was, was saying to these guys, you don't even have this much. So that was a problem. You have to have some faith. But how many of you like me have wondered, I must have done something wrong. I, somehow it was dependent on me. To, how many of you have heard an explanation, well, you just didn't have enough faith? I doubt that. I'll bet after having a Bible in your hand and being in the company of believers and seeing God move, I'll bet you have enough faith. But what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Are you taking your, you know, prescribed, preplanned idea of what it is God should do and telling Him, and now you need to, and calling that faith? Something has to happen, he said, before that moment. Remember when they brought the, the, the child to Jesus and, and, and the same thing happened and, and they said, how come we couldn't do this? And he said, Jesus said, except by much prayer and fasting, this won't happen. You see, part of the reality of being used by God in power faith moments is to be a person of prayer and fasting. Why? Because then you know what the Father is doing. And so when you come to the sick one, when you come to the lost one, when you come to the troubled one, you become a part of what the Father is doing and you release your faith for the right things. I've known people, including the man yesterday, who came to Jesus because he's deathly ill. And he came fully, authentically, powerfully to Jesus. And I'm really kind of glad that he didn't get healed earlier. Because it was that disease, it was that infirmity that drove him to the cross. Well, now he's going to get healed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But to be a person where you see the power of God consistently move, you have to be a person who is, who is connected with God in such a way that you know what he's doing and you know what his will is. John, 1 John 5.14, this is the assurance that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that if he hears us, we have what we ask of him. So just to be people who are connected with God in prayer and connected with God in worship and connected with God in fasting and connected with God in the Word and in meditation and contemplation so that you're, you're, you're at, at the right spot at the right time with the right mind. Is this making sense to anybody except Monica? Thank you. Because you want to see the power of God move, right? And, 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 and sometimes you're like, man, I just, I just have to work it up more. So I've been praying about this for a couple of weeks and how, to, how I can really explain it. What is your role 
in bringing the power of God to bear. If it's not, i got to get more faith. And it, was, it came to me that it was likened to an electrical circuit. It's likened to an electrical circuit that there's a power source and there's some place you want that power to go, correct? Yes? Say yes. I'll start again. And what's in between the power source and the recipient? The switch. A switch. And when it comes to the release of your faith and seeing the power of God move, you are the switch. That's why it only takes... You see how small a switch could be in this grand schematic and this maze of wiring and a single switch. A tiny little switch could decide what happens next. And electricity is just excited electrons. La, 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 la. Exciting the one next to him. La, 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 la. Exciting the one next to him. La, 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 la. And all the way down the line, billions and trillions and gazillions of times. That's what's happening in these lights right now. Can't you see? Listen. Do you hear the lights? These are very excited electrons. And when I read this scripture, I get this that I'm a switch. And God is the power source. I'm not the power source. You see, we get confused when we do this. We go, I just didn't have enough power. You're not the power source. The switch doesn't generate any power. And you have to realize that if, listen, if you're plugged in, plugged in, a person of the Word, a person of prayer, a person of worship, a person of meditation, a person who's in touch with what the Father's doing... If you're plugged in, then those electrons are excited all the way from the source, who is God, right up to you. And now you're walking into the world with a wire, right? And you're going, well, Matt needs, well, if I'm plugged in, the Father's telling me what God wants to do in Matt. And so now I know how to have the right kind of faith. I know what to believe for, and I close the switch. Bam! Did you feel it? A little bit. I know you did. (laughs) And I just close the switch. But see, I, something's got to be happening in me for this to happen. I have to be plugged in. I have, to, I have to be in love with God. And I have to love Matt. And I have to love, love Matt enough just to be the switch. I don't want to control Matt. I certainly don't want to make him into another one of me. I just want to be some kind of a part of the process for everything God wants for you. And so when we approach someone who's sick, when we approach some situation in our lives where we want to see the power of God come, we want to release power faith, check, are you plugged in? Are you plugged in? And do you understand your role? Do you understand your role, which is just to complete the circuit? Now, I don't know how far this analogy goes. I don't know if, if, if the bulb's burnt out, <laughs> if it's not a willing recipient. I don't know how far you take that. All I know is this, <laughs> which would not be the case in Matt's case. might be in Dennis's, but not in Matt's. All I know is this, that it's my role, it's your role to be plugged into God.
plugged in as a person of the Word, as a person of prayer, as a person of worship, as a person of contemplation, a person of fellowship, not resisting what God is saying He wants from you, a person of obedience. And when we're that way, when we're in love with God, that we trust Him that much, we get what He's doing, and the electrons are excited. The electricity is all the way right up to here like it is right now. I just want to close the switch for you. I just want to close the switch for you right now. I have faith for what what you need. I have faith for what you need. I have faith for your need. I have faith this morning for your healing. I have faith for your deliverance. I have faith... For some of you, your mind is just so clouded and so confused. And I have faith for the clarity of God. I love God. As much as it depends on me, I stay plugged into God. I love you. I really do. I think you know that. And so I just want to close the switch. See, it's, it's not me. It's God. But you've got to have people in your life who get this so that they know to close the switch. And when I pray for you, I close the switch and say, let the power of God flow into your life right now. Some of you right now are aware of the fact that you need a move of God in your life. It could be for any reason. Maybe you realize you're not a Christian. Maybe right now you're going... Uh, I haven't even ever released saving faith. I've never even asked Jesus to do for me what I recognize I can't do for myself. I want to pray for you. Some of you have a variety of other things going on, including critical prognosis of something that just isn't good. We're going to break that. I have faith for that to be broken and for you to be healed. And if you're a person who would like to receive prayer right where you are, I'm not going to ask you to come up, but you're saying, I want to get in on this. I want, I, want to get, I want to get connected in a power faith moment. Then go ahead and just raise your hand. Hold it up.